Hi, uh, welcome to the Dave and Cole podcast. We're doing TV this week, so we're switching gears. We're going to do Last of Us and White Lotus, both HBO shows. They're both good. You can watch both of them. Um, White Lotus just had their second season. Last of Us just ended their first season last week. Um, the people responsible are very talented. You have Craig Mazin on Last of Us, Mike White being the the auteur of uh, of White Lotus. I think the that we're going to start with Last of Us, and I I played the game. So I actually kind of knew everything that was going to happen, but then I also forgot a lot. So I, I thought things would be different. And then I went back and watched and they were in the game. <laughs> I was surprised anyway. So, cause I played the game 10 years ago, but I, I liked it. It was, it was great. I, I actually, I, I'm kind of a gamer. So every, every time that there's a successful game show, I'm, I'm just like, that's right. That's right. It can be good. Games are art. Don't you forget it, Ebert. He was the one who said that the games weren't art. Anyway, what are your thoughts? No. Yeah. No. I. Um, I. So a little bit uh, background. I am not a gamer. Um, I think I've told you this, and it, it really does kind of sum up how I feel. Like, I if there is something that's kind of undeniable from again a cultural zeitgeist. Um, I'll often want to test the waters. So like, for example, uh, when um, Red Dead Redemption 2 came out on PlayStation 4, I hadn't owned a system since high school, but I bought a PlayStation 4 so I could play that game. I spent like three weeks fully immersed to the point where like it felt weird not to be playing the game. You know, like I, what life am I really living? That kind of thing. But after I played, uh, beat the game or, or completed the game, rather, uh, I sold off the system. Um, the reason I'm telling you this is because uh, although I didn't play The Last of Us, uh, because of how big of an impact it had uh, on on the cultural conversation, I, I I went into a lot of it. So, you know, everything from reading fan theories uh, or, you know, reviews of the game, the Wikipedia, the storyline. So you didn't uh, go in blind to the show? No, I didn't go in blind. Um, I And I even know about the second game and, and I was kind of curious on, on where they would take this game as far as um, story arc or take this show. But, but anyway, uh, I think it's, it's successful for the most part as a television show uh, as well as a game adaption. So like you, I celebrate that, you know, I think that's something to be recognized and to be celebrated. Um, I do think we're at a weird crossroads where, you know, in the next five or 10 years, there's going to be less and less of a distinction between the two, between games and between, you know, film. Um, But I think that something like the six, the success of a Last of Us might might take us there. Once uh, we got Yui Bowl out of the picture, I think that the doors opened up for legitimate <laughs> game movies and game. You know, you uh, went to uh, you went to the world premiere of uh, House of the Dead with me, didn't you? No, I did not. Oh, when we were in San Francisco, our first my first year. This would be your second semester. It was spring two thousand three. Uwe Boll was at the Galaxy Theater, which has now since been demolished, for the world premiere of his film House of the Dead. Um, and I, I remember like Clint Howard was there and, and a bunch of the cast and crew and everybody in the auditorium had a great time because we all thought we were watching this schlock fest. It wasn't until afterwards when they did the Q&A that we realized, no, this this director took this very seriously and this was going to be a game-changing piece of cinema. Anyway, um, 
I, yeah. I, you know, I've seen a lot of bad video game adaptions. I think all of us have, and we've been right. disappointed. So but it is good to see something like The Last of Us. Well, the other thing, too, from a gamer's perspective is that it was good and it was faithful. A lot of scenes, they just followed pretty closely or, I mean, I won't say shot for shot, but pretty closely uh, to to the game, that you know, and it works. It works because it's a good story. It was, it was a good story back then. Um, I think that there's a lot you can talk about in the story. I had lengthy conversations with coworkers about what makes a good story, what makes this a good story. Um, I won't say that this is the best story ever. It's to me, it's still not quite hitting, hitting the bar that I would like, uh, in terms of the writing, but it's good because you have characters with clear motivations, with strong desires and, that makes for compelling that always makes for compelling movies to me you have a character that wants something really really badly and that's joel joel he wants uh he wants his daughter back yes well let's <laughs> let's i mean for the very few people who aren't familiar with the last of us either the game or the show let's give a quick recap of of the general synopsis okay um so it's early 2000s, and there is a fungal uh, infection that's sweeping across the world and basically turning people into mushroom zombies, more or less. Um, when the story, very great, yeah, it's great, and yeah. the, the effects are fantastic. Like, the, my, I do have a few criticisms of the show. I agree, like you, um, it, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't a grand slam. It was a, you know, it was a solid home run, but it wasn't a grand slam, and I think it could have been a grand slam. But so anyway, we're, we're in this post-apocalyptic version of, of current year, you know, right around now, 2023. And um, there's only a, a, a little bit left of humanity. And there's kind of the same kind of corporate rule versus, you know, the the uh, people on, on the fringes of society. Anyway, um, and the, Ellie. And the, movie, uh, and the show is more about how humans treat each other in the apocalypse rather yeah. than the zombies. Well, and okay, so I do, I, that does lead into one of my criticisms. So I'll just say that um, I think the use of the uh, fungal zombies or whatever the game refers to them as was cordyceps. very effective. Cordy, yeah, cordyceps, cordyceps zombies. Um, cordyceps zombies. But, uh, you know, I do think that there is a missed opportunity uh, because the zombie, uh, you know, uh, threat basically disappears halfway through the season. Um, once they leave... That's very true to the game, too. Yeah, but, you know, I do think that that is something that that is an opportunity to make something more. Because here's here's one of the criticisms, right? And you mentioned this before, when just in a private discussion, uh, when we first started talking about reviewing this. Um, in the game, there's all kinds of action, right? Your Joel is constantly killing people. There's constantly battles. And that's because the game needs to keep... Uh, you know, players engage. It needs to give them something to do consistently. So you end up with a much higher kill yeah, there, count. there aren't really puzzles in Last of Us. You're basically just killing right. things and that's, that's right. your whole interaction things. with the world. Right. But now on the show, they, they limit that way back. They limit that way back. Right. And, and there, this is not an action heavy show. In fact, there's very, very little action in this show. Um, but I think the the quadricep zombies were so effective that they should have dropped them in. You know, it doesn't have to be every episode, but like, you know, you can wait a couple episodes and then it's more of a surprise shot that they're back or, you know, it's a constant looming threat. I think they kind of dropped the ball there, even if it does follow the gameplay. Well, I think the guy, so 
I've thought about this a lot in the last 10 years <laughs> since the game <laughs> came out. I think Neil Druckmann did a good thing, but I don't think he totally knows why. And this is me being a super critical writer. It's, you know, one of those things where it's so easy to criticize uh, something that's good and say like, oh, but you could have done it better. And who am I? I have never made a TV show. <laughs> but, um, but he was interviewed by, I think it was like IGN. And the IGN guy loved the story. And he said, talked about Joel becoming the villain. Joel is the villain of the story. And Druckmann was like, Joel's not the villain. And so I think he kind of was a little bit not not really in tune with his own audience or not in tune with how people react. I think the ending of it um, where, you know, spoilers, hopefully you've seen it. I'll give you a second to turn it off if you, <laughs> if you haven't. But Joel, Joel kind of condemns humanity um, at the end of the season one, at the end of the first game, um, and, and kills a bunch of people. And, you know, from my perspective playing the game, I always thought he, he was the villain. He, he was a bad guy at the end. Um, and people have kind of debated whether what he did was right or makes sense or whatever. But I think Drachman went from a very clear kind of position of Joel is set up in the beginning to lose his daughter, and now he'll do anything to save his daughter. And that is a good plot, but that's kind of where it begins and ends, and it is over the head, right? There's nothing really... Is it compelling? I, I don't know that it is. It's kind of, it's very clear. So it's, it's good. It's kind of like if you've ever seen like Man on Fire with uh, Denzel Washington. Denzel. He loses Dakota Fanning, and now he's got to kill everyone until he finds yep. him. You know, that, that it, it does work. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. In limited quantities. I, I think it's smart that you brought up Man of Fire, and this is why. So uh, I like Pedro Pascal as an actor who plays Joel. Um, and I knew, again, spoilers, in the game, I think pretty early on, because there is a there is a time jump between game one and game two. Um, and, and the producers of the show have said that there is going to be a time jump between season one and season two, even though they're not recasting. But anyway, uh, pretty early on in the game uh, two, they kill off Joel. And it's it's kind of, you know, well, punishment. You should have for... said spoilers for season two. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and every, everybody, listen. Well, I already, you, knew, you, I already knew. I already knew. Yeah, if you heard this and you heard spoilers and you didn't turn off, I'm sorry. That's your own fault. Plus, the game's been out for five years yeah, now. Everybody knows. the future. But am I? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Because here's the thing. I Okay, so let me let – me, this is what I, I wanted to talk about because I don't know that I am spoiling the future. I spoiled the game. But I'm wondering if uh, they're not going to use the close following the narration of season one to actually deviate in season two. We don't know. And they might it, actually split. I heard they split the second game up or add more. I think yeah. they have a success and they're going to milk it. Yes, that's exactly my point. So, but, but, okay, again. Which I'm fine with. I like, I like that world. And That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. But I do think, uh, my point was this. In the first part of the season, I didn't want them to follow through on that story arc. I was really worried that they were going to do at the end of this season, kind of like a Game of Thrones big surprise, you know, 
Yeah. I was worried that they were going to do it at the end of this season. But by the time I got to the end of the season, I'm like, no, they have to do this because Joel has served his purpose and he's actually now a hindrance for the story. Um, I have another, I have another pretty major flaw here. Uh, and I don't know if you wanted to, me to, to say it now or, or um, if you want to discuss something else further, but it's kind of a fatal flaw as far as I'm concerned. And it is a deviation from the game. So, in the final episode, uh, the, it opens with, uh, you know, it's, it's what, 13, 14 years ago or whatever. Um, and we see Ellie's mom. And the episode opens up with Ellie's mom. She's nine months pregnant. She's running through a forest. And you can hear the quadricep zombies well, in the back. Quadricep. 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 The zombies are, are chasing her. And she comes into this house and she's looking for her people, but they're not there. Anyway, long story short, one of the zombies gets in. She manages to kill it. But in the process, it bites her leg. She immediately gives birth to Ellie. And in that, you know, 10 seconds of getting bit and then birthing Ellie and cutting the umbilical cord, that is the show's, the show is giving us a reason for Ellie that the game never did. And yeah. it's a fatal, it's a fatal flaw because uh, Mar- Mary, what's her name? Marianne? Mar- Marie? I don't know. Uh, Ellie or, I don't know the mom's name. No, no. The leader of the fireflies. I don't know her name either. Anyway, so the leader of the Fireflies is Ellie's mom's best friend. They've been friends since they were children. And the leader, Marianne or whatever her name is, knows what happened. She sees that it, that that uh, she was bitten and immediately gave birth. I think and, where you're going that is, is she should be able to put it together and they should be able to reproduce it. And replicate it. Right. Right. There's no way that there isn't a so, in, there, every single one of these people who's disposable, they're going to impregnate. They're going to let sure. one of these I mean, infected biter and then they're going to have, you know, so they're going to replicate this. I, I mean, I, to me, that's not a fatal flaw. To me, that's one of those things fatal where it's flaw. like, you know, obviously they would have done that. I had the same discussion with a coworker and they said, well, maybe it wasn't the only reason. So maybe they did try that and it didn't work. That is that is waving away bad. That's the writer. That's the audience doing the writing. But you know, it's it's one of those things where that's why it's not a fatal flaw for me because they didn't explicitly say it that that was the reason. Um, so I'm okay with not going well, there and yeah, just being like, but, okay, okay, whatever. I don't like it. But what other reason would it have been? It doesn't matter. Is my point? Like that's it's they they put that piece in a bottle so much that it doesn't taint the rest of it for me at all. It's just, it's kind well, of like a, a scene that I, I, that I could give her. It's, her it's a schmaltzy way uh, uh, of, of making us care about this other character. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to give depth. Uh, they're, they're trying to explain Ellie, but also give depth to this other character, the leader of the fireflies, because we see that it's as hard as it is for Joel to let this this experiment happen to Ellie. It's equally as hard for the leader of the Fireflies, but she makes the she right decision for mom. humanity, yeah. right? But but there are other ways to introduce that idea versus just saying, "Hey, I mean," because like if you think about how many babies are born every single day, right? It's something like fifty thousand babies are born in the United States. Trust me, man. Okay, you're so getting way too sciency on this. This, this I'm just saying, there's <laughs> no way, there's no way that we wouldn't have ten thousand Ellie's by now, and that this would be a thing that 
that we would have the cure. Just just from happenstance, so, we would have right, the cure. Right. So this is a good segue to uh, what I, one of my notes here, which is explicit versus implied. Right. Mm-hmm. So they could have just had Ellie be immune. You don't really know why. You know what I mean? You don't really need the answer. Um, versus explicitly stating it and the the detriment of that sometimes. Now, as a writer, I keep going, I'm not a professional writer, but as a writer, (laughs) I always kind of come down on, if I have to choose, on explicit versus implied, but you can over-explain too. And my reason... That's funny, because I go the opposite way. A lot of people do. A lot of people do. And it's because when I was a young writer, I used to be implied all the way. And... I had a teacher tell me, you've got to make a statement. You can't just let the audience interpret the ending, interpret the meaning. People do that. I used to do that. But he said, you've got to make a statement. And I so I started writing stories that had endings, that had explicit climaxes, denouements. <laughs> and, uh, and it was better. It's, it's better. The downside is when you make a statement, sometimes people read it and they're like, this is this is garbage. He ruined it. It was so good until he wrote that ending and then the ending spoiled mm-hmm. the whole thing for me and I can't I can't take it anymore. I don't like it. So so White Lotus to transition is the opposite. White Lotus is implied, all the way implied. Mm-hmm. Everything is implied, nothing is really stated. And there's a lot of drama through the implication and it works it works to a point but then i think you end up leaving a little bit dissatisfied because you don't have any character or any voice or any instance making a clear stand on anything in the first season you kind of had some thing with the poverty and the the stance of um you know rich people kind of get away with things. That was kind of the first, the first ones implied moral, the poor people suffer and the rich people somehow they just get away with things and and live happy lives, I think. But even that I don't think was Mike White's intention in season one. Um, This season, he, I think he said is about love and relationships and the kind of fraughtness of love. Um, And there's, I think way too much to sum up that happens in season two. There's three three main plots. I think there's the the uh, three three men who are f- trying to find their family roots. The Hollywood and, sexists, right? There's two couples that are not really as in love the, as they the would tech like. Tech entrepreneurs with marital issues. That's the one couple. The other one is a finance guy. Yep, that's right. Yep, and then the last. Uh, story is the the prostitutes, right? The two well, and well, there's the four: the, the billionaire and her um, assistant. Oh, that's right, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. What's for Jennifer Coolidge? And then, and then, and then there's a yeah, there's also there's also a group of two prostitutes who are, who are intermingling between. And there's them. also the the girl, um, the, the assistant, the, at, yes. the assistant trying to trying to find her way. So yeah. yeah, there's a lot of plots that we can't sum them all up. And 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 there's also the hotel manager 
who who becomes oh, more of a central character yeah. yeah as the season goes Awakens. on yeah she she starts as well go ahead but um yeah go ahead well no i i, I just i think that um well i i have some thoughts on this uh, but i'll i mean i'll just say that the biggest thing is there's a couple big things one is that you can only do so much implication for me. There's a lot of cutaways to the ocean. The ocean was getting old for me. Start playing it in reverse. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I guess to go back to the ocean, you know, it's kind of nice that he's built this, um, this little anthology series because he gets to go to Hawaii and now Italy. And the next one will be, I'm sure beautiful. He, the, the settings that they get are really nice. Uh, I don't know how much of it is set and how much of it is location, but certainly the exteriors look amazing. Um, yeah, that's great. The other thing I'll say about the show, about season two, which for me carried it, I mean, all the actors are really good. Jennifer mm-hmm. Coolidge is really good. Um, that guy. And I just want to say about, about The Last of Us, I mean, uh, uh, Bella Ramsey. Like I, w- I was one of the people when 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 they cast The Last of Us, both characters, I wasn't sold. I Pedro Pascal does a good job, but I think a lot of people could have done that. But Bella Ramsey who plays Ellie was fantastic. I mean, really, really great. They have a good cast too. The two of them were yeah. well cast. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yes, back to White Lotus and um, Jennifer uh, Coolidge. Coolidge. I mean, also, all really all the actors are so really good. good. I don't even know yeah. those other actors like the hotel manager. I've never they're. I'm sure Italian actors that somehow Mike White found, they're all really good. Um, I also just think that Aubrey Plaza is probably worth every penny that, I don't know how much she charges, but uh, she definitely brings a lot. Um, I find her very interesting. She had a stroke when she was 20. I think it, I, I think her brain is not quite normal and it comes through with the acting choices I, I I think, I don't know, it's kind of like that guy who's in uh, Silicon Valley who left. That guy also had a brain tumor or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the guy that played, um, God, what was his name? The big loudmouth guy. Yeah. Um, with the beard. Old yeah. Beardy. Yeah. Uh, TJ Miller. TJ Miller also had a brain yeah. tumor or something. Yeah. Guy's a weird guy. Also, you know, the other thing is that these people are both very, very intelligent. And I think they get really bored making standard decisions. Um, yeah. You know, every it's kind of like Nicolas Cage. I'm not saying that Nicolas Cage is like the same Has type of actor, but he, well, I listen, I love, I, I it's love like Nicolas the X-Men. Cage. You have a brain tumor and sometimes it kills you and sometimes it works out really well. <laughs> no, I'm telling you, Nicolas Cage is one of the most fascinating actors because everything he does is bizarre, but it's intentionally bizarre. I'm not saying that TJ Miller and Aubrey Plaza do everything bizarre, but they, they have a unique approach to everything. Yeah. Um, you know, the dialogue delivery, their little mannerisms and looks. So I definitely agree. I, seen, I do oftentimes find... Have you seen that one? Which one? Emily the Criminal. I haven't. Um, I was going to say, I, I oftentimes actually find Aubrey Plaza a little frustrating. Um, but she's been very good recently. Um, well, she, she is, what was she just... She is kind of a character actor. You always see Aubrey Plaza. She's yeah, but like character actor doesn't mean the same character. <laughs> A character actor means you can plug them into any type of character role, not the same rinse repeat character. But she she has started to do interesting things. Like Ingrid goes west, she was really good in. 
um white lotus obviously she was excellent and she was in a movie called spin me round uh with uh, the girl from glow anyway she's she's done a lot of really interesting things lately yeah she's worth the money i don't know what they're paying yeah. her but i feel like she's worth the money but it's worth it because yeah. i'm i'm interested in almost every time i see her on screen she's in some movie i haven't seen yet on my netflix queue called life after beth um, oh yeah, I, I don't know if I'm yeah, interested in that. Yeah, one, but... mediocre reviews, but I'll still watch it. Yeah. I, she's a headliner for me. Um, That's fair. Yeah, Emily the Criminal is really good. I, I would recommend that movie. Um, I've heard good things about it. It's good. It's a good low-budget low, low budget movie. Um, I think she produced it, too. Um, well, let me just say that the I do like the implied... Uh, well, it, let me... Again, I because, like, with The Last of Us, like, I think that the implication leaves you with no other option. I think that a lot of the final implications on the White Lotus do the same. Full spoiler alerts here. So like uh, this is one of the plots is um, the the husband of Aubrey Plaza, who has just made like $40 million from his tech company, uh, suspects that Aubrey Plaza has has cheated on him on this trip with his buddy from college, who is this financial advisor. And the buddy from college is played by Theo James, very charismatic, but he's definitely, you know, he's always on the prowl, right? He's the type of guy who every time he's in a new location, he's having sex with new people. Um, and so there is this implicit uh, cheating scenario between the two of them. But it does get to the point where we know she did. It, it because they don't outright say it, but her reaction confirms his question. And then later on, um, in a moment where he's feeling like he wants to get some retribution, he ends up sleeping with uh, Theo James's wife. And again, it doesn't outright say it, but we all know these characters know, and the audience knows that they're going to this remote location um, to have sex, and they go, and it's done. It cuts away. So I think, yeah. Right. I think I think the show really balances that line of giving us enough context that we know what's going on without outright saying it. Yeah, it is balanced. Um, I think the problem with that is, <laughs> is that it's really easy to cut away um, because there is, I'm not saying there's always drama, but there is like, I guess a good example would be, um, you know, if a guy is trapped in a room or something and then they cut away and he's like, well, I escaped. I broke, I broke the ropes and I escaped. And it's like, man, well, I that's more of a cheat though. It is. And it's like, well, I would have liked to have seen that, you know? And so the same thing can be said when you, when you say, oh, these people are going to get down. And I'm not saying well, I need to see a sex have scene. You but, ever see, have you ever seen I, a girl? But have you I, seen the movie MacGruber? I have not, no. Okay, well, you need to watch it because it's one of the funniest movies that of all of time. Thing. But they, there is, it is straight explicit. There is full on MacGruber butt as he's humping and man going, uh, uh, uh. Well, I'm not saying <laughs> that. My, my, my point is that, this though. like, the reason that a show would cheat the escape is because they don't know how to film it. They're not creative enough to film it or they don't have the budget or the time. There's no reason to cheat a sex scene, right? It's just, it's they don't need to show it because implying it is enough. Yeah, I don't I don't know because there is a little bit of like you know 
you just kind of they just kind of hold hands and then disappear. But the, but there's other other things like that too in in the movie from or in the show <laughs> for me at White Lotus where you know there is a, the guy and his uncle are having sex right that's explicit we see that yeah but his actual like why he why he has her phone or or why I mean why why do they take her to the party if they're just gonna kill her. You know, like why do, why are they seen together at all? It's Who? kind of the the group of gay men who well, are trying to kill Jennifer Coolidge. There's a camera there. So so again, what happens is the husband, the so the billionaire played by Jennifer Coolidge. She's yes. she just recent. We get the idea that she recently married this man from Wyoming. Right. We know it's recent because he says that this is his fourth marriage and he's not quote unquote good at this. Yeah. And then on the uh, island of this this Italian guy who's kind of um, bringing Jennifer Coolidge into his circle of friends, we see there's a photo of him with the husband. They're right. no, I get lovers. That. And then there's a camera right on the boat or mm-hmm. on the in the bedroom because they are trying to get uh, evidence that she cheated on him. That way, when she shows up dead, the husband inherits all her wealth. Was cheating on him. The because there's important? a there's a yes because she's the rich one yeah and but I she didn't, has i thought all she, she had has to do a, was die i didn't no, know no, no. she she well i think that was like insurance oh. yeah huh yeah i don't know that's where i get i guess maybe i'm not okay <laughs> i need an explosive a little yeah. bit more but yeah sure. i mean i i kind of I kind of feel but like then you end up with one of those villainous monologues, you know, that's that you don't want one of those either. No. Yeah. You don't want that. You don't want, uh, her to overhear the guy explaining. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now here's what we're going to do. And then we're going to do this because of this reason. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, she comes out, she fires the gun into the camera. Everybody's shot up. One guy runs overboard. And then, and then she hits her head. At the end. Yep. It kind of seems like. Uh, I Are don't you know. saying it's not a satisfactory ending? Yeah, none of it is. None of it is. Not just her ending, but all the characters to me have a very unsatisfying arc. I would say, except for the uh, prostitutes, and they partly do the best. But I think that's the commentary they're making, right? Because all of these other people are in kind of emotional uh, relationships and those are... They're in it for love and and love is not going to work. Right. Right. And there's not like clear defined ends to these things and and it's messy and that, you know, but, but these two ladies are in it strictly for business. There's a prostitute and there's a musician and there's no emotion. They're both in it to raise the, you know, raise the ranks. Um, Mm -hmm. And at the end, they have succeeded where everyone else has failed. Their story made the most sense to me. From the beginning, I was like, you're getting played. <laughs> that guy is like, oh, you're getting played so bad. Yeah. Um, but I mean, so. a, another show where everybody, I mean, everybody in this show is is fantastic. I mean, there's not, a, there's not a weak link. I mean, that's, it's a good ensemble. The season one also had a good cast, but um, season two was more balanced in that everybody, I think, Every every actor had to do a lot. Um, 
I, I think I think there's uh, so what I think is going to happen is whereas Jennifer Coolidge was the carryover character from season one, obviously spoiler alert, she's dead. She can't continue on to season three. <laughs> I actually think it's going to be the musician prostitute, the one who ended up with the piano bar. I think she somehow is going to be the carryover character. That's that's my theory. Your fan um, theory. In, in, yeah, into season three. Um, but one thing I want to talk about with that that is the tie up of both of these shows, The Last of Us and White Lotus, are the writers, the show, the showrunners. So um, you mentioned that on The Last of Us, there's there's dual showrunners. Uh, we have uh, Neil, is it Druckmann? Yeah, the, Druckmann. Um, I guess. the creator of the game, and then there's also Craig Mazin. Um, one thing that's interesting about Craig Mazin is that he started off as kind of a bottom of the rung comedy writer. So he did Rocket Man uh, uh, in 1997 with Harlan Williams. Um, he did the scary movie three and four superhero movie. He did uh, a couple movies with Todd Phillips, The Hangover two and three, and, and um, Identity Thief. But then He's in 2019, the master of sequels. Yeah, yes. I mean, and 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 cheap, almost unfunny sequels, right? Like that's the thing too is that they're not just lowbrow comedies. They really don't work that well. But um, in 2019, he did Chernobyl. HBO's miniseries that obviously looked at those those events, um, and it's it, it's excellent. It's one of the best things HBO's ever done. I mean, it's it's I would put that above both of these shows as far as just overall grade. Um, and, and now here he is doing The Last of Us. It's just a really interesting dramatic turn, and not just it, it's a, it's a weird dynamic that he was kind of a fledging comedy writer, but now when he turns to drama, he's really delivering. Um, and then with The White Lotus, you have Mike White. Um, I, I know you're familiar. I've been a fan of Mike White since Dawson's Creek. You know, this is this is my guilty pleasure. I like Dawson's Creek. I always have. But he was he was a major writer for the show. But then he followed that up with Freaks and Geeks, which is one of the best adolescent shows of all time. He did Orange County with Jack uh, Black and then School of Rock and uh, Nacho Libre. Anyway, um, he is also, uh, I would say, a more successful comedy writer who is now kind of turning into the dramatic uh, with his show, The White Lotus. Um, and I just I just wanted to highlight that, that these are two writers who uh, I think probably spent the majority of their career writing projects for studios, for Hollywood. And once they had enough clout, they started writing passion projects for themselves. Um, and, and I think we're seeing the fruits of that. That's a good transition to recommendation. Excellent. So recommendation time. If you haven't seen it, uh Barry on HBO is really good. And that's Bill Hader, who obviously started on SNL, I think. He probably did stuff before SNL, but Bill Hader, another comedian. Barry, very dramatic show. Um I would it's about a hitman. I'll just say that. Bill Hader plays a hitman. Season four is coming out real soon. They said it'll be the last season. Um, I think I feel like it's a show that starts at a nine and goes up to eleven. Uh, it just gets better from the from the beginning. I'd say the first episode is good, but not great. But then it gets better pretty much with every episode for me. I, I think it just gets better and better. Um, Absolutely. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say because I forgot to rate them. Uh, I'll give Last of Us. I would give an eight. I probably would have given it higher, except I felt like the ending was just kind of rushed um and you need an ending man ending is your anchor uh so there's that and then white lotus season two i give maybe a six seven six 
six and a half for me. Interesting. We're kind of flip-flopped. Uh, I would give The Last of Us a seven, uh, which by video game standards is like a 12. But, you know, I, I just think, I think it was a little loose, a little sloppy, but I think it's a really good foundation. I think they have the right cast. They have the right crew. They have the right uh, world building to really, to really take off. Um, so I'm hopeful, even though the first season didn't blow me away. Uh, White Lotus season two, I would probably give an eight. I just think it did everything it intended to really well. Um, Barry, I echo everything you said. You know, there, it's a dark, dark comedy with excellent action and it's nail biting tension um, done at the highest level. Yeah. And the comedy seems to have gone away almost a lot of it. It's, it's, it's uh, more. Um, nervous comedy right like we don't laugh because something's funny we laugh because of how much tension there is and we right. just need to re- we need to break the tension somehow and there are these little moments yeah you know like where or a or something yeah yeah right things yeah. that, that yeah. don't fit into to yeah. character in a way yeah. yeah okay yeah so that's that's a good one if you haven't seen barry catch up on it because it's gonna end soon and you're gonna want to see it what are we watching next <laughs> so next week we're gonna do Cocaine Bear, which I, I love just saying the name of it. I, yeah. I, I've i never done cocaine, but I just think it's hilarious. I Every time well, I, I see it. I think you have to before you watch the movie, right? That's part of the <laughs> Every time I see something like Scarface with a guy like a nose full of cocaine or whatever, like it's all white, like fucking a sugar donut. I just think it's so funny. Um, yeah. I'm sure if I actually knew people who did cocaine, I wouldn't think it was so hilarious. <laughs> but something about it in movies always makes oh. me laugh. I've had some bad stories. I've never done <laughs> cocaine myself either. I have an addictive personality, so I have to really watch out for that kind of stuff. Um, but I have some stories for you. Anyway, okay. I'm excited to watch the movie Cocaine Bear. And what's option two? Uh, Galaxy Quest. So Galaxy Quest, oh, older movie. Excellent. But uh, it's that one I've seen, is, and, and we'll talk about that. It's a really good movie. Um, yeah, I love that movie. It's probably been since 1996 or whenever it was released since I last saw it. But I remember thinking it was pretty good. Yeah, I'll watch it again before the episode. Awesome. All right, my friend. Well, thank you for another podcast. This was episode five, and we'll see you in a couple weeks for Cocaine Bear and uh, Galaxy Quest.